welcome back, pod people, to our final 187 episode, Murder. It's a theme of murder. And we're going to be discussing Memories of Murder from 2003. Everyone's favorite 2003 movie in America, I think, probably. <laughs> I'm Justin. Chuck. We're getting very close to our last episode of 2023. This year has flown. A little bit. Just a tiny bit. Just a hair. This is actually one of the movies that I was contemplating on doing for my free-for-all. I was torn between this and Cure, and I was like, fuck it, I'll do both. I will do that movie, and I'll build the theme around it. I went very blatantly with the murder of Memories of Murder. (laughs) We had a lot of different types of movies, which is why I kind of like the broad subject of murder. We got this, which is a detective procedural drama And then you had the slasher, I would call it, indie slasher, and we had your film noir, Laura. And I noticed that one of our best episodes this year is actually the one that you did, Chuck, The Wailing. I just got a 4K cut of it, so I can't wait to watch that. There you go. This actually has a lot of similarities in it. It's got their shamans, where they're like, have you tried a shaman at solving your case? The main character in this, who is a detective, is equally, if not more, incompetent than probably your police officer from The Wailing also. Are the police just that incompetent in the rural areas of South Korea? Is that what they're trying to tell us? They might. Yeah, the main detective, and this is Bong Joon-ho's main man, because he's in pretty much every single one of his movies. This is not his first movie. Bong's first movie, his first movie, I never even seen. It's I can't remember the title of it. It's like A Sleeping Dog Never Bites or something like that. I don't know if it's a comedy, but the description I had read sounded like it was a comedy. <laughs> it said that a man goes to great lengths to shut up a, a yapping dog or something. <laughs> so like, I, have, I, I do kind of want to see that now. But this is feature number two. I think it's one after this is The Host and then Mother... And then uh, probably Okja. I don't know if I'm missing anything. Parasite. And then he's going to do his Robert Pattinson movie, Mickey 7, coming out 2024, which I have the book for. To don't read. forget Snowpiercer. Oh, shit. I did forget Snowpiercer. I can't not forget something that I already forgot. <laughs> he's in that, too. Yeah. He's in actually probably more of the South Korean movies than anybody else that I've seen. Cause, uh, he's in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and he's in Lady Vengeance. And he's the weird in The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Yeah. But yeah, he's probably the most prominent actor that I can think of. Song Kang-ho. I'll yeah. never remember that. He just has that face. At this point, he's become a character actor. I'm that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Where I'm, Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> he's in, uh, isn't he in Thirst too? I think? Probably. I think he's in that one, too. Is he the main person in that? I think so. I think he's the main character in that one. That's a great vampire movie. The two I always recognize the most is him and uh, I don't have the other actor's name in front of me, but the one that's in a lot of the Park Chan-wook movies, uh, who's in Old Boy and and the other ones. Like he's the other one that you know most often. Oh, is he the bad guy? And he's the bad guy in Old Boy. Yeah. You're talking about the main Old Boy. I'm talking about the main guy. Is the other most famous. I see that guy that played the villain in that a, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like Bittersweet Life guy, who's also in The Good, The Bad, The Weird, and popped up in all kind of... I'm sorry, it's weird that I'm starting to see how a bunch of these people... Like, when we watch Squid Game, I'm like, oh, that guy, I know that guy. <laughs> the guy that was doing the little game where they throw the papers at each other and recruiting them. I also don't even know how many South Korean movies that we did this year. 
Maybe just the two. Might have just been the two this year, yeah. I know we've done Snowpiercer. We've covered that one before. But then, yeah, I think this year we might have just done this and The Wailing. The only other movie that I watched this week was Shin Godzilla. I rewatched that. I mean, they go through people like crazy, so I don't even remember what bureaucrat he is. But when I saw the one guy, I'm like, oh, it's the Japanese man from The Wailing. <laughs> it's 100% him. I looked him up, and he's the voice of the heron in The Boy and the Heron. <laughs> I can't pick up on voices at all. <laughs> he's Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill, but I probably wouldn't realize because he's just a dude that's constantly wearing a eye mask. Yeah. So how fuck would I know? I wouldn't. I know that you're a huge fan of David Fincher's Zodiac, and it makes me think of the South Korean Zodiac. It's a guy that is probably just as incapable of being a detective as Jake Gyllenhaal, even though the main character in this is a detective. <laughs> I don't know what his formal training was, but it just seemed like coercing a false confession, and that <laughs> seems like how he's done every single case in his uh, entire career. My assumption, I... <laughs> He's always slapping people and beating people up. I guess he's supposed to be a masculine South Korean. They like to drop kick people a lot. That's uh, that's their go-to move. Well, that was the other detective. The main guy even does it to the uh, cop from Seoul when he oh, thinks he's yeah, attacking yeah, yeah. that woman on the side of the road, and he like he jumps and just drop kicks him in the in the weeds. Yeah, there's the three detectives. Detective Park is the main character, and I would say he's just the incompetent brute and he believes in intuition, and his second is so. He just resorts to violence. Half the scenes with him, I don't even know if they're supposed to be as funny as they are, but he usually just drop kicks people, like, out of nowhere. There's even, like, this ongoing joke in this movie, too, where he puts the shoe cap on when he's going to beat somebody up because he doesn't want to scuff his shoes. There's one shot where they're back in the main office area at the police station I guess and he's taking the thing off and then there's another shot where in the interrogation room there's like a window and stairs and the camera's just looking through the window and you see it's just a desk and you see him putting the thing on his foot so you know he's gonna beat the shit out of this guy also he gets probably the most ironic payback of any character in this movie <laughs> and then the third guy kind of a loner character that came from Seoul he shows up he's mistaken for the killer because he's trying to ask a woman for directions, and Park and So are these terrible detectives, so they're just like, it's gotta be this guy, let's go take him in. <laughs> and when they take him in, they find out for the chief, like, they're like, oh, no, that's the new guy, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're not supposed to be arresting that guy. Also, as far as the culture goes, I find it interesting in this movie that the chief of police, or their boss, is the most understanding character, where the farther they get along, and they're like, oh, I fucked up, I fucked this up, Chief's like, you know what? It's okay. From time to time, you're going to fuck stuff up. We'll get through this together. That's so different from American police chiefs and stuff, where they're usually the ones that are demanding. They're usually super unreasonable. <laughs> that is usually how they're portrayed here. They got rid of the first chief who seemed terrible at his job. I don't know. They're all... I guess they kind of are... They keep replacing people. I like the way that the story unravels. We get a serial killer. 
it does feel very reminiscent of Seven, so I'm sure Bong's a huge fan of Seven. But it does have this interesting... Uh, maybe it's just the location of everything with their culture, but I feel like the story is the South Korean Seven is the best way that I can put it. Even though it came out before Zodiac, it does have a lot of Zodiac vibes. I don't know if this is a really true crime. I don't know if this really happened. I didn't look it up or see if it is based on anything. At least Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is based on some real people. It's based off of, like, there was a real serial killer killing people, but they didn't catch him until 2019. Oh, wow. So at the time that this movie came out, there was, like, nothing on it. They just knew that there was somebody out there that had committed these murders. Chow, he is one that wants to go by the science. This takes place in 1986. There's no computers. Everything is actually done in paperwork. And I think it's interesting that instead of, I trust the data. Data, like, is a word that doesn't exist at this time, I guess. So they're always, I trust the documents. And I keep thinking in my American brain, documents can be forged. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I live in America. Documents can be forged. He's so adamant on that. And he almost has kind of like a seven moment <laughs> by the end of this movie. I think it's an interesting choice that he's not the main character. The character that they choose is one of the least competent people. He's got the vision, as he says. I do love that throughout the movie he keeps saying that he, he can, like, just tell he can read people. And they have that one scene where he wants the guy to... He's like, well, tell me which one of those two is the rapist and which one's the brother that beat him up and brought him in. And he looks at him and, and then it cuts before he ever says anything. And then... They kind of do that moment later where he, like, fakes it, where he pretends that he can just read a guy's eyes when he they go to that work site and they find the guy that has the, the women's underwear on and he, he sees him at first and then he, he gets them all rounded up and he pretends like he just looked at the guy's eyes and he's like, oh, I could tell this is the guy that did it or something like that. So he, he fakes it then and, and then, yeah, you get that moment at the very end of the movie where he, he looks into the guy that they think is the killer and he still can't tell anything. So his whole career has been based off of that he I thinks mean, that he's a good... Epilogue where he's with his son and he's like don't lie to me i can read your eyes yeah 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 i forgot about that yeah he still he says that <laughs> and his wife's like shut up just believe him <laughs> and he said he didn't do it he didn't do it so just just showing yeah he's not a he's not a great cop no i do like that shot though of uh his point of view when the two people came in and the, his partner says the guy caught his friend or something raping his sister and they're both beat up one's a victim one's the rapist and he's like which one is which and they literally look exactly the same they're both equally beat up have the same emotionless expression on their face that's almost i think here would be the ending of a movie who do you think did it and just like <laughs> end that's all you get to think about also kind of adds up to it feels like Zodiac in the way that in Zodiac technology isn't there for them and all the police departments in that movie work against each other. Years go by the case isn't getting solved and you, know, you just have one person who's totally obsessed with the case. Story beats are pretty similar I would say. Is this the first time that you watched this? Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I did. There really is a lot of comedic stuff going on in it. It does have a lot more comedy than I expected. I thought it was going to be much more serious, but they do, at least probably for like the first maybe half, two-thirds of the movie is like very comedic and how bad these guys are at investigating. Like, I, I do like that right off the bat it shows you that this guy's that they're not great detectives and they might even flat out just be like lying when uh picks up the detective from Seoul and they're going and he's like, 
what's with the dirty sneakers in here? And he's like, oh, yeah, those are from uh, some guy or something like that. And then we see him we see him go out into that field where he was going to – they thought they had a footprint before, and he, like, makes the footprint on the ground and takes a picture to uh, frame the kid with mental disabilities and be like, look, we found your footprints there. It clearly means you killed her, right? The opening shot of the first scene that we see, the first murder, this is a footprint. And he gets the stick, and he's like, we need to get this footprint, like, casted or something. And he walks down like, in the field. Everything's ridiculous. Like, that guy's like, people keep falling down that hill, and he's like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? <laughs> yeah, people are all over the place, falling around. He's like, you're fucking up my crime scene. And then this tractor comes by that's headed towards his footprint, and he's like, god damn it, no. And he's running towards it. They run it over, so, like, that's the team that he works with, too. That, yeah. Your comedy is really good, too, because there's a moment where the serial killer is also a serial rapist, and they are like, we never get any pubic hairs. And the detective's like, well, he must be bald down there. He keeps calling him a baldy. Yeah, probably like the uh, monks, the temples next door. Should we go uh, Should we go over there? <laughs> yeah, and then there's a scene where he's talking to the chief. The chief's like, listen, I don't think your thing's going to work. What are you going to do? Go around and have everybody pull their pants down? It has a jump cut to him at, like, a sauna. Hanging out at, like, the bathhouses, and he's, like, just yeah, staring at everyone. he's just looking at everybody. There's that one scene where they're in the locker room, and he's, like, staring at that guy, which really is heavy reminiscent of Ace Ventura for me when he's trying to see everybody's <laughs> <Yeah>. Super Bowl rings. <laughs> but it's, like, it's exactly like that. I mean, yeah. and it's weird, too, because, like you said, it doesn't seem like it's going to be funny, but some of it is, like, really funny like that. And then when you get to the murders, they're always the most brutal murders that, that you could possibly have. It's pretty graphic whenever you see what happens to these people. There's one part where the guy's, like, putting out all the things that you don't even know what he's going to do with them, but you find out later that he shoved them inside of her. Awful. And the way they find every body is completely different, too. For us, the way that they reveal it, which is another great scene. When they have two bodies, Chow, the detective from Seoul, says well we have three bodies we just don't know where the third body is and the other two detectives look like <laughs> flabbergasted they're just yeah. like what what they're three? So confused yeah he's like there has to be three from everything that i've picked up it gets kind of weird where the other competent police officers this woman kwan she's the one that finds the song they find out that there's a song that's played on the radio every night and it also rains and those are the nights that the person goes out and kills people, kills his woman. They blow her off time after time. They're like, that's dumb. That's stupid. We, we don't believe that. She doesn't get any credit for anything, really. And she's the one that comes up with the song. She's the one that goes and gets the postcard. Because apparently if you want to request songs in Korea in 1986, you have to do it via postcard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just too expensive to do it on the phone. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'd be too much. I could see I could see it being too like just people like don't like I don't know it's 1986 but like they're still in a rural area they're just like people that don't have phones in their houses like like that they're like yeah just send a postcard in yeah I'm actually pretty impressed that in 1986 there's this plot where they vaguely know about DNA and testing DNA and I don't know like how good it is but they don't have access to it at all in their own country. They're like, yeah, we'll have to send this DNA over to America to get the results back. And uh, in the movie, I think it's like, we'll get our results in like a couple weeks. 
But I feel like it would be much longer than that. You know what I mean? Like, they're mailing this stuff internationally. <laughs> I feel like it would take a lot longer. Yeah. You don't see much. Anytime that they show the killer, you can never see his face. I think you only see two murders happen, and you see the reenactment of somebody who didn't get murdered. Oh, I guess you do see, uh, you get another murder through the one person's perspective, a witness's perspective. But uh, even that shot, there's one shot where the woman's being followed by a guy in the rain that's real creepy. I like the way that that's shot, too, where she's, it's mostly lit by flashlight, and she's got this umbrella. So the shot of her, like, looking around for this guy, I th- you like, she's going to remove that umbrella, and he's just going to be standing behind her. And she moves the umbrella, and he's not. And she's walking, walking, and then she takes off running. And you have this shot of the guy actually coming out of the, the tall grass to, like, attack her. The way that they shot it, I'm sure you could look up and see who the hell the actor is, but you can't tell who it is from that shot either. The face is all blown out. It keeps that going where every other reenactment after that, it's always the back of the head or they're only showing things from the shoulders down. Like they will never show the face whenever they show this person. But we got some grade A detective work here. You get that witness that's like he had the softest hands so they know that he's somebody that's not working out in a field somewhere. Here's another like funny comedic moment where they got the guy strung up on the ceiling <laughs> and they're like beating him up and the guy walks in and feels his hands and they're rough so he's like this is not the right guy park runs up to him and starts screaming at him you're ruining things i know it my intuition's right and the chief walks in with the rope did we string him up <laughs> did we string him up <laughs> all their detective work that they have they know that it happens outside in the rain which destroys their evidence any sort of evidence that they have whatsoever is gone they trace the song back to this guy that fits the soft hand description. Everything points to that guy. He's kind of the seven character. John Doe. Yeah, he's basically the John Doe in this. It kind of has the similar Zodiac beat of, I'm going to stare at this person's face and determine on whether my detective work <laughs> was good or wasn't good enough for it. The main detective in this movie I guess we could say is probably a worse detective than the one in the whaling. That guy's just that guy was just vaguely incompetent. This guy flat out's just like I'm just gonna beat confessions out of people, even when I know they're wrong. Uh, yeah, the other way they know that it wasn't uh, every one of their things keeps getting messed up by the the detective from Seoul. Like they know that he ties like really good knots, the killer, and then he looks at that kid with uh that's got like mental handicap or whatever, and yeah, he's like he's got webbed fingers. You think he's tying knots like that, like? <laughs> There's no way he's doing it. When they go back to the the parents' restaurant or whatever, that that kid lives with his parents or something like that, and they're like, even when they're like, here, we we got him some shoes, and they still, like, slap him in the face a couple times. They're like, here, put these shoes on, and don't run away from us when we're looking for you. That's another funny scene where they're like, these are Nikes. And he's like, these aren't Nikes. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, they spell Nike and I-C-E. It's like, they're just as good. Stop complaining about it. They're great shoes. Yeah, their first suspect's this mentally challenged kid. They know that he's, like, infatuated with the one person who ended up being murdered. Where they kind of trick us as viewers is that Park, the super incompetent detective, is, like, beating him up and coercing a false statement. He's very adamant, no, I didn't tell him any of the stuff that happened at the crime scene. And, you know, you get the smarter detective, Chow, the science detective, 
are you being honest with me? Because we know that he didn't commit the murder. And they're like, oh, shit, this guy's a witness. He definitely saw it because he got all the details right. And then we know that he didn't commit it. And it's funny because, they, yeah, they go back to the family restaurant. And there was a scene once where they're eating there. And he just popped out of an attic crawl space. <laughs> so when they're looking for him and they look up in the crawl space. And he's, like, opening up cabinets in a cabinet or anything. The angry uh, detective, so the guy that's always kicking everybody, he's getting super frustrated, and he breaks their TV and all this chaos, and he starts fighting with the patrons of this restaurant, and then that kid that they're looking for, the witness, he's standing there, and (laughs) he joins in on the fight, and he grabs a board with a nail, and he smashes it into the guy's leg. It's another Ace Ventura moment for me with the second one, where he, like, looks down, and he's just like, delayed screaming like what the hell and they chase the guy he runs for his life (laughs) they chase him up a telephone pole and they're like no we're not uh we're not gonna beat you up and try to get a false confession for you this time we just need to get more information off of you because we understand that you're a witness right when they're starting to talk to him the dad comes out and they start (laughs) he's trying to defend his son so another little fight starts outside and by the time park gets him he's (laughs) he's on a railroad track and they're like, no, and he can't get Which, to the yeah, guy. Even that's like, it. even that's like <laughs> such a comedic. Like the way it, it's funny the way it happens. Like the guy's like, he's like, no, get off the tracks, come on, you gotta get over here. That kid's just standing there on the tracks. It's like, yeah, come on, like I'm waving. telling you. To, yeah, he's like, come on, I'm telling you, you gotta get off there. And then he just, at the last second, he like turns and sees the train as it runs him over. Which is the ultimate bad detective motif, right? Like you, uh, yeah. that's more in comedies too. What happened to the witness? Ah, the witness is dead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he died in a horrific way. Detective So needs to get his leg amputated, his kicking leg. Because he doesn't go to the doctor for a couple days yeah, at all, I guess. He doesn't go to the doctor whatever, at all. Yeah. He doesn't bandage it. He doesn't clean it. And then they're in the doctor's office. He's like, so, so it needs removed? And he's like, God, how many times do I have to tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, he's going to die. He's got tetanus. Tetanus is serious. You guys can't fuck around. Then he fucked around. The kicking guy loses his leg. That's the irony that I was talking about that I absolutely love in this. I also do like that scene, too, where they're back at the crime scene trying to figure out what's going on. And then they see the smart detective there. And then another guy comes. So they're all hiding from this guy. That's when they're trying to do the shaman thing. Like, he has that Yeah. first one he goes to her. He's like, hey, don't try to sell me on any of those junk charms or anything. And then it like, it's an immediate cut to them out in the field. Like, and he's like, okay. And she said, if we pour the liquid on, it'll dry into the face of the killer. So that's all we got to do. Don't mess that up. That was very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah, don't ruin that. That was that charm was expensive. That scene was another great one of yeah, they're they're out in the woods trying to trying to do that. Then they go hide. The the other detective CO comes. And then he's, like, hiding. He has to hide when he hears a third person come up. <laughs> and then at that point, they're both just sitting there, like, staring at this uh, this guy that comes up who's got women's lingerie that he throws on the ground. And then he's wearing women's underwear. It's very Silence of the Lambs. Like, he just <laughs> yeah. puts out this brawn underwear. <laughs> they step on a branch. Deer in a headlight looks from the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he takes off running, and it's actually a pretty decent chase scene where they're all out of shape, and they can't catch up to this guy. They can't get him. Yeah, they're like, damn, this guy's fucking fast. And they split up. 
they lose him, but then they actually hear the dog barking, and the guy gets up on the wall, and he's like, oh, shit, there he is. And they start chasing him again, and that's where they end up going to that rock quarry. Another comedic moment where they're like, well, he's wearing black. And they're like, everybody's wearing black. Everybody's wearing (laughs) black, idiot. (laughs) They catch that guy, and they find out he is who he says he is, where he, he said that he just couldn't get it out of the house. His wife's sick, and there's all these kids and stuff. He is a weirdo, though. He admits he's turned on by the the violence that he reads in the newspaper. Uh, yeah. They were talking about, well, when I say they, I watched the one bonus feature that I could, which was Guillermo del Toro gushing over this movie. One of the themes that he brings up is that they're mostly masculine men, so that's what they're looking for is masculine men, who's probably the prime suspect in this whole thing, is a very feminine man. And they talk about how the smart guy also has that, like, feminine thing about him. And he's also mistaken for the killer. So you kind of get that duality of them being like, yeah, you're closer to the killer than you think you are throughout the whole thing. Kind of get a, I can't remember his name either, the guy from Red Dragon that's going nuts because he has to really put his mind in the place of a serial killer to find them. Yeah. This movie is, like, it's pretty tense. You keep getting so much information thrown at you. You get a lot of bad information. It was 1986, though. The work wasn't the best. I don't know why this was another one that, like, made me laugh a lot when they're, like, going over the evidence with the new the new chief or whatever, and he flips over the one page and he goes, and then we found semen, and then he just stops and goes, we found semen? And the guy's like, yeah. And he's like, huh. Oh, that's interesting. He's like, we could totally match that to somebody then. Like, like it wasn't even a thing he was even aware of. Yeah, it's also another good moment, too, where towards the end of the movie, they had already, their prime suspect, they're pretty sure it's this guy, because they know that he requested the song, they know that he's not accounted for during the time that this shit has happened, because they're like, oh yeah, you probably just left your lights on and went out, so the next time that it's going to be raining, the smart detective's like, I'm just going to follow him. And he gets too tired and he falls asleep in his car. And they lose him. And conveniently when they lose him, the killer strikes again. In a really interesting scene, I think, where the two victims... There's one victim. It's I believe it's the one guy's girlfriend, right? Isn't it Park's yeah. girlfriend? And then the other one is the witness that's like from middle school that was talking about this thing that occurred that it became like urban legend behind the school of the outhouse. This guy that's been capturing people. Yeah, I do like that shot that's very Halloween-esque where it's just back and forth. You don't know which one he's going to go after. Tackles her into the woods, and the other person hears the noise and looks back. That girl ends up dying. The detective, Chow, the smart one, loses it. So he just directly like goes to find this guy, and he's like, I'm going to kill him. Which is like, it's almost exactly like the end of Seven. Like, fuck it, I've been driven to the edge, I'm just going to murder this person now. And then you get uh, Park. This is also where things get really melodramatic, I guess. Where, well, as he's about to, like, shoot this guy in the face, Park shows up. He's like, I got the results, but I, I need you to read them because I can't read English. Yeah. So he reads them, and it's inconclusive, which is just, like, another great moment of the guy's so sure it has to be that guy. There's nobody else that it could possibly be. It totally ruins everything. And he kind of comes down the park's level where he's like he starts firing after him as the guy starts running down this tunnel on the tracks wildly shooting down the tunnel and there's one moment where the guy's laying down and make you think that possibly he got shot 
but he gets up just fine, meaning he just like tripped over a railroad track or something like that. Yeah, the one thing I thought was funny at the at the end when it skips ahead to 2003, like that definitely wasn't like a. I wouldn't say it was a major. It's not like not like Robert De Niro in Raging Bull, but like he definitely lost weight to show that like he aged. Uh, Cause like he's that he's not like fat, but he is like just a little bit overweight when he's like in the 1986 stuff. And then when it goes to 2003, like he's definitely lost weight, and it like shows like like oh he's aged and he's like grown up. But then like the the woman that's like was his girlfriend before, like I doesn't look like they did anything to her. They're just like ah. Just, just put another wig on her or something. She looks like she's 40 or something. <laughs> it doesn't look like they put even any old age makeup on her or anything. Yeah, we find out that she did talk him out of the detective work. And he seems to be happy selling <laughs> juicers. He sells, yeah, he sells juicers or blenders or whatever. But yeah, he's talking to like the corporation or whoever he's selling the stuff for. He wants to make a pit stop. And the pit stop's where he found the, the first body in the beginning yeah. of the movie in this drain and it has a like a great shot of at, at the end there's this little girl walking by and she's vaguely like oh there was another man here a couple days ago looking too and he said that uh he did something here a long time ago and he had to come back and visit it and you just have that look of like oh shit i should just <laughs> i should have just stayed here for 16 years yeah maybe i'd eventually have found him i'd have got this guy which is, like, another thing that Del Toro pointed out, that they're similar. The villain, who we never actually find out who they are, and this main character do have a lot of similarities. Like, they're still showing up all these years later, obsessed with this murder. I don't know what it is. I brought it up with The Wailing. South Korea is... I don't know if they're just making just so many movies and we're getting the only the good ones. Almost every movie that I watch from there has been excellent in the last... 20 years probably with any foreign country that produces movies like i'm sure there are movies that aren't aren't as good and yeah we probably if it was if it didn't perform well there then it's then they're not gonna even bother to to send it overseas and like put subtitles on it or something like that but i feel like there's it's probably still a lot less like i want to say like less likely for there to be bad movies like not that they don't but i don't know it seems like we're, we're getting more and more to the point where i don't know hollywood just pumps out like whatever garbage they think will make money at this point and they're not even really trying whereas because i feel like the the studios in in hollywood the the big ones like warner brothers or sony or disney like have the money to oh we're gonna make this 300 million dollar movie and we we're just gonna hope it makes money whereas i'm sure memories of murder costs like a few million dollars or something like it's not a high budget movie so they can afford to produce these movies at much lower budgets that if they fail it wasn't like a huge risk but if they do really well and we can you know even something like parasite like parasite didn't cost that much money to make and then it ended up being huge and it won academy awards and stuff like that so there's almost less chance for garbage to be made because they're not they're not just trying to pump out as many movies as they can also i feel like they a lot of these foreign countries don't necessarily care about shipping their films to to america whereas america really wants to ship their films to other countries and be really popular over here like i'm sure these guys are happy when their movies get screened in america and they win awards and stuff but i i don't think any of these guys like like the big korean directors like bong joon ho or park chan wook are making these movies being like damn i really hope americans like my movie whereas it's like it's the opposite like americans are like i really hope the koreans love my movie 
I think Bong is a person that's like, I really hope the Americans like my movie. I don't know if he's 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 not for the award. I don't think yeah. like he did win a bunch of Academy Awards for Parasite. I think that like what gets him so excited is, and this happens in a lot of other countries too. They're getting American movies and they watch them regularly. And we don't watch a lot of foreign movies at all. You ask him what his favorite movies are, and he's very international. And they're mostly American movies, or like his favorite movies that are like super inspirational to him. So I think when you have all these other countries that the average American viewer just doesn't give a shit about those movies, it's like nice that you kind of have people that are like appreciating it. And I've seen that recently too with the new Godzilla movie, the director had heard that people in America were really loving it and like that's like the highest compliment that he could possibly get is like the American audience is approving of it although if it wasn't Godzilla that movie might not even be over here at all he did make a great movie but <laughs> but yeah every, everything I can think of like I love A Bittersweet Life and it's like an excellent movie was it 2010 when I saw The Devil came out? I saw The Devil was like a, to me another perfect movie. Even the movies that aren't perfect, like The Good, The Bad, The Weird, is another movie that I love. It's just so ridiculous and goofy, but it's also somebody that loves Sergio Leone movies like <laughs> 1000 percent. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm eating this up. I'm gonna pay homage to as much of his work as I possibly can. The Wailing was something that I hadn't watched. I was going to watch it, and then you picked it for the your your one movie. So I was like, I'm going to hold off, and I watch it then. And that, and that was also, like, amazing. I was just like, throw it out five stars. I'm like, yep, perfect movie. Let's go on. Yeah. What else do you have for me? How about this foreign movie, Justin? Perfect. Five stars. I love it. <laughs> Most of the movies that we're getting from them are thrillers of some sort it's usually if it's not like a detective thing then it's usually it's usually a detective thing um even when they do horror like train to basson that's a thriller it's very heavy in the blood of that movie too and it's probably one of the more suspenseful ones and it's another thing where i'm sure it's like they love alfred hitchcock and they love like all his train movies <laughs> and you know and they're like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're, you know, More they trains. just fucking love it. And you know what? And it's not, they don't even just love American movies. They love like classic American movies. Yeah. They know their movies better than the average American knows American history, film, cinema history. They'll come back and they'll be like, oh yeah, my favorite movie, Citizen Kane. And I've been inspired by that ever since I saw it at age eight. And I'm like, the hell this, this person watched the four that's not normal even for us to get movies like that out of like another country even i can't even think of a lot of kids that watch seven samurai here like the average person's not like oh yeah when i was a kid you, seven samurai used to always be on tv and you'd always watch it <laughs> but uh yeah this is another good one i own it it's in the criterion collection uh, it was one of the ones that I kept... It was probably one that... Well, I still didn't see his very first movie, but it's one of the last Bong Joon-ho movies that I got around to watching. It had been talked about forever, and I don't think the distribution on it was really well, like, good before Criterion picked it up. 2003 was probably still when... Like, that was still early on before 
I want to say like before people knew like how big South Korea was doing with their movies to do like international because I feel like the biggest one I mean Old Boy was the same year and I feel like that was maybe like like that's one that I can think of hearing people talk about around the time that it would have come out like within a couple years people were like oh yeah this movie from from South Korea and it's this crazy you know yeah it's this crazy thriller where all this right. stuff's happening probably like, by 2005 you're hearing about it yeah yeah so it's like it's I think that was maybe the first year and this one maybe just like fell and just wasn't it wasn't as big Tale of Two Sisters was from the same year too that's another you know well known so yeah 2003 I guess maybe that was that was the year that it that they like finally broke through and then yeah what the host was like was that 07 or 08 it might even have been five I, uh, I yeah it might have been a little sooner because I know that's like another that was like another big one that that started popping up and I started seeing people talk about that everywhere so I mean think about this I'm sorry I keep jumping back to Godzilla but it's one of the only things that American audiences get when we saw Shin Godzilla it had already been in Japan for months yeah so then it's in theaters and then it took like several more months and like you know when it was in theaters it was in theaters here for a week you have to wait several more months to get a blu-ray you know you're waiting like almost probably 18 months from the time that movie came out to the time that you could actually own it and watch it regularly yeah now 2023 the new godzilla movie came out came out in japan first and i think that we had it within two weeks and it's playing in literally every theater right now. It's doing extremely well. We're actually doing a little bit better with these foreign films being showcased somewhat, some somewhat accessible. I was surprised that I was able to see that and The Boy and the Heron here relatively soon after they were released in Japan. Yeah. And, but we still have things like I wanted to see Poor Things, the new Lanthimos movie with... Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. It's like a Frankenstein thing. I go to the movie. I've been going to the movies a lot this year. Uh, the last two months, I've been seeing this trailer for Poor Things again and again and again. December eighth, December eighth, December eighth. December eighth comes <laughs> around, and in Pittsburgh, it's not playing anywhere. <laughs> and now I think that it's like it's it's worldwide release is December twenty second, which isn't too bad. Yeah. But I'm just so used to the movies. Pittsburgh's like not considered a, a big city at all and usually gets everything by the time that it's it's everywhere nationally. Yeah. But I'm so used to the award season shit where even even last year, um, I worked on a man called Otto and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna go sit at theaters but it was the same shit where in December it was just playing limited so it could get in before the Oscars and I saw it in January. I don't know. Feels like a long time ago. It, it maybe made more sense, but yeah, I still don't get what the point anymore of being like, oh, it's limited for two weeks. Like, for what reason? Like, just to get people like hyped up, and you want to get like more of your reviews out there for those two weeks before anyone else can see it. Like, it could be a hyped up thing. Where it fails is you built hype by literally showing a trailer in theaters and then not having it ready for the date that <laughs> yeah. it came out. So it's not like it's a heavy word of mouth movie. And it's like you say, that's how they always phrase it too. Is it's all they almost always in the trailers, the date they're giving you is the, is the the date that it's hitting like, limited release. Like they they almost never, they're not like it'll be out December twenty second. They're like no 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 it'll be out December eighth. 
Uh, I mean, you might not be able to see it on December 8th, but it'll be out on December 8th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One guy can watch it in uh, in L- L.A. on December 8th. <laughs> yeah. Somebody <laughs> get, will see They've it. gotten better because I'm obviously try to watch all the movies that are in the Academy Awards for Best Picture. And there's always like 50% of them, if not more, are always these movies that come out like this, like their release schedules. You know, one day in in December, and then limited in January, or a lot of things, especially the foreign films and the documentaries and stuff. You're not going to see them anywhere until they come out on on Blu-ray. Sometimes they don't even make it in time for the Oscars. It's like everyone's voting on this mo- movie; it wins best documentary, and you still can't see it until like June. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that happens so often. But uh, I guess we'll look at it whenever uh, whenever they announce the me- Best Pictures nomination. I want to look at the release dates. I bet you most of them are, like, if they're not a festival, I bet you... They're all going to be festival shit. But I bet you a lot of them are going to have, like, that December release date. Yeah. People are becoming more... Ex- when I saw Parasite 2, there was, that theater was packed. And uh, I didn't really think that... I didn't know that the word of mouth was that good yet. I don't even think it had been nominated for anything for, like, Globes or Academy Awards or anything at that point. Also, too, our theater in the waterfront, they're heavy with their uh, Indian movies. The Bollywood movies. Yeah. It's, like, one of the only places where, like, I... If you really wanted, you could probably keep up with a hell of a lot of Bollywood movies. Like, I swear to God, every week there's, like, three <laughs> new movies there. A lot of them and have, like, like, four part and five. Four, yeah. yeah, I'll be like, I'll be like what? <laughs> there's more of these? Like, okay. Yeah. You never heard of it before, and it's part five. <laughs> and I would actually be interested to go just randomly go into one of those showings and see how many people are there to, to watch them. They have to yeah. be seeing them. I mean, if, yeah, if they weren't, if no one went to see them, they wouldn't keep booking them in the, in the theater. So they must be, they must be doing good business. Yeah, and I just want to say like one more thing for the area too that I think is really exciting. I might have already said on the podcast. I'm not sure if I did, but the local theater, the Hollywood Theater in Dormont, they uh, Row House bought them, and Row House has another theater in Lawrenceville, so they're finally a chain with their two movie theaters and I went there for the the Richard Kelly double screening of Southland Tales and Donnie Darko and the theater announced that they were going to do major renovations they're going to like double the size of that theater so they can get a huge screen in there and they're going to get a 70 millimeter projector so Mm. they're going to have like we're finally have access to like the legitimate IMAX yeah. And not the you know the faux IMAX is like a hundred percent all the IMAX that I've seen at the waterfront. That'll actually be kind of exciting. The you know in three years when we get our next Christopher Nolan movie that we <laughs> 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 that you want to watch on film. But yeah, I thought that was legitimately exciting. And that's another theater that they were playing like the Boy and the Heron. Because I think the Boy and the Heron's playing everywhere too. But at yeah. least you're like, yeah, we'll have a place that we can go to that we can watch these things that are maybe a little bit more obscure, finally. But uh, I'm sure there's a million things that I left out about Memories of Murder. I don't even remember the first time I saw it. Two years ago, three years ago, whenever this 
Criterion movie came out. Uh, I was going to say earlier, too, where, when you're trying to watch it, probably Criterion Channel. I don't know if they if it's there all the time. But if not there, maybe Max. Where did you watch it? Did you own it? Yeah, I own it. Okay. Max also has a lot of... Yeah, they seem to usually have a lot of the Criterion TCM stuff on there. TCM, the Criterion, all that, yeah. Yeah. So that might be a good place to try to track this movie down. But this is another movie that, like, I absolutely loved. Like, almost every aspect of it I thought was pretty fucking good. You do have... Sh- it's like shoddy detective work. But you keep getting pushed and pulled where there's kind of like that, you know, science versus intuition. And there's a lot of good shit being brought up. I like the thing with the false confessions where the guy's like, you, you can't just beat the shit out of them until they're... Because every, everybody that they beat the shit out of at the by the, you know, we don't even know how much time has passed. We're all like, hell yeah, I did it. Like, yeah, whatever... What'd you kill him with? I uh, strangled him with a strap. And they're like, there's that scene where the guy pauses the tape. He's like, it was a brassiere. And he's like, hits play. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I meant to say a brassiere. That's what, that's what I strangled her with. You know, just going through, like, please just let me out of here. I'll just say whatever the hell you want me to say at this point. I'd actually kind of like to see something like this during that time, 86 in America, too. I don't know what the hell was going on in Korea. There's obviously something happening at this time where there's... I, I don't know if it's civilians fighting police officers, like if it's a why there's these riots or whatever the hell is going on, but there's something going on in, during this movie with, like, some uproar politically. Something Something's going on. <laughs> Historically, I don't know what. Do you know, Chuck? Yeah. I don't know. You have I it? I don't know. I was trying to figure out, too, because they were like... They kept having like air raid drills throughout the movie, yeah. and I was like, I was like trying to think. I was like, the Korean War was in like the fifties. Like, what were they having air raid drills for? Was there? Yeah, I was like, was there something like going on that they that they thought they were getting attacked? But I like, I'm not aware of anything in particular. If you Google 1986, it said there was like student protests against the government, but it doesn't say anything about like doesn't say anything about like war or about like police or anything it just says you like, know the the air raid drills too could be something like when we watch our the old movies in america where the tv goes out on its own because they're not playing past a certain time might yeah. be something like that like they're still actively practicing it for like a war that's a, that's what i didn't know yeah are they like do they still just do those all the time i mean they're they are in a country where there's <laughs> there's like they're their enemies that want to bomb them are extremely close to them. It's not like it might be, like do- and it might be else, something so. that's done by like the '90s. Like it's uh, it's over. They don't do it yeah. anymore. But Bong's like, I remember that vividly during that time. Uh, yeah, this movie too. Like, how, like you knew I was gonna say it, but it starts on my birthday. I know. Yeah, I thought I thought the same thing when I was like, <laughs> not just my day. My exact day. Uh, yeah. The exact year I was born not, is yeah. when Park... Not often you get the, the exact date and year. Yeah. At the exact time that I was born, Park is looking at a corpse in a, in a gutter. Yeah, and I think, too, by the end of this, I, they don't say if there was more killings afterwards because they so never the, caught uh, anybody. The, the, real, the real killer 
or like the the one that this is based off of again they didn't know who the who the killer was by the time this movie was made but the real murders happened from 86 to 94 i think they said the guy committed like 30 30 murders how many does he commit in this movie like five like five or six well i mean this is 1986 so i guess this was the start of this would have been the start of the uh the murders but uh, well you do remember they had that classic um the person that wasn't murdered but was kind of like one of the first victims in yeah, yeah, yeah. 1985 like september 1985 that always seems to happen too when they're doing um like tracking down a serial killer they're like oh shit maybe this this and this is these people are related to it too yeah he was uh they actually he went to jail for like not a completely unrelated crime but he uh the guy that was was went to prison for murdering his sister-in-law which i guess that probably like the other murders probably went like mostly unsolved because it was just random people and then and then i don't know he he got bold and like invited his sister-in-law to his house and then like killed her there so he i don't know he just eventually did it one too many times and that's what he went to prison for and uh they said that the DNA evidence didn't finally connect. I guess they were running through like old cases in 2019, and they finally, they finally found out uh, that it was him. And they said he confessed to most of them, but I, I guess Korea has like statute of limitations on murders, which is weird. Like I know America's like that's one of the few things that has no statute of limitations is like murder cases. But they said all the murders were too far gone by the time. But he, we do uh, have like double jeopardy too. Where... Yeah, yeah, there's weird stuff. But so they said they never, he never got convicted of any of the murders. But he confessed. That sounds to a him. lot like the BTK killer because he was really popular. Or well, he was his spree he was, was like really the popular. Same. Yeah, he was really popular. BTK his man, spree, he's really. He was a real popular. He was a real popular guy in the eighties. Uh, but yeah, his killing spree was in the 80s, and they caught him in, like, 2005 or something, 2006. Yeah. And again, through DNA. So it's the same. I mean, that's how he got the Golden Gate killer. There, I saw recently that there's supposedly a serial killer in California, but they're like uh, Patrick Bateman. They're killing homeless people, so I don't know how soon they'll catch the guy. And like the guy that we had in the, that did the Idaho murders, I don't know what they're calling that besides the Idaho murders, where they went in and yeah. killed like four out of six students, and they like immediately found the guy. I, I mean, he didn't have his trial yet, but I don't think he was convicted yet. I think it's still happening. Yeah, I think his trial's still ongoing. I've seen like three datelines on that one. I, I can't I skip over the datelines that are like always current events because I'm like I'm not watching two hours of you not getting to the end of this <laughs> just to get to the end and be like be like he's uh he's still just sitting on trial we don't have any new any new updates on that hell you watch the ones that are are uh you know it's like 20 minutes in you're like god damn it I've seen this one <laughs> you're like I'm not watching it again to f- get the one update that like you know we went back to court. It's always like a five-minute thing of yeah. of not worthy of doing an entire episode over yeah. again. Yeah, doing a whole new two-hour episode just to give you five more seconds of something. Yeah, just as ambiguous or something. They're like, now they filed for uh, adjournment or, you know, something something crazy. <laughs> An acquittal. They want, they want this thrown out. It's like, okay, 
so it'll be another five years until they do this, and then you'll re-release the episode again. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd enjoy it. Well, you've also been dancing around the subject of Zodiac for a while, and we still haven't done Zodiac, and it doesn't look like we're going to do Zodiac <laughs> next year either. We'll eventually get there. I did think it was kind of funny. Uh, I'm going to release a trailer, like a teaser trailer, for what we're doing next year. But the very first theme that we're doing is almost very similar to this <laughs> this month. Like, it's not the same thing, but it aligns pretty closely, I would say. But I am looking forward to, to getting into all that. We're doing our Christmas episode in two days. Wait, no, three days from now, because this comes out on the 22nd. And <laughs> we're doing Home Alone. We're doing the Macaulay Culkin era. We're only doing the first two Home Alone movies, and you could watch that probably everywhere under the sun now if you wanted to recap it. But uh, we played a little practical joke on uh, on Lexi for this. So, as you know, I just want some context going into it. Just It'll make it more fun for you. It does get revealed at the end of the episode anyways but there's six home alone movies and i told lexi i was like yeah we're gonna we're gonna discuss all six home alone movies and she wasn't feeling that she's like god damn it, we're gonna go through all six of them i'm like yeah we're definitely doing all six of them watch them there's a a fun little reveal at the end of that episode when we're when we're like we only watched two of them get her reaction to that it's pretty funny i think Good year all around. I'm looking forward to next year. Check out Memories of Murder wherever you can. I think I actually think most people would like it. It's not too out there for like the foreign stuff, you know, what we're not used to to be doing day to day. But the procedural stuff's pretty pretty interesting. If, if you like any forensic type true detective, this is like dumb true detective. <laughs> Like, I do think that Bong is a great filmmaker. I think that this is really well written, really well acted. His protagonist is just a bumbling fool. Do you have anything bad to say about the movie? Anything you hated? I didn't really hate anything about this movie either. It was either funny or it was just constantly staying interesting. And I think it's like a two-hour movie, too. So it's not, like, ridiculously long. That's all from me. That's all I've got. I appreciate everybody listening and home alone in a couple days. And then we'll be back. I think it's like January 12th. So it's going to be like two weeks off for us. Three weeks off for us. Bye. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.